Amen. Thank you, Bucky. How are you this morning? We're all good, yeah. After that, come on. Man, that is some worship. I love it. Again, always worship prepares the heart for the Word of God. Today, uh, we're going to have family feast. Little Cinco de Mayo for you. Little Mexican food. Little, what do we got? Fajitas and yeah. So you better make sure you stick around afterwards. Right now, we're finishing up the book of Romans. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Please take it, even if you have one and you've left it at home. We want you to have this so you can write in it. You can take this one home. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. We've got one for you. I want to make sure the Word of God is in front of you so that you can dissect it along with us as we unpack these verses. Book of Romans. The theme of it, the righteous shall live by faith. That we as Christians live by faith, not by sight. Genesis, where we've been. Revelation, where we're going. What's Romans? How to get there. I love it. Chapters 1 through 3, righteousness needed. Righteousness needed. Paul says, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. We're all rusted out. But the good news, chapter 4, righteousness is given to man, imputed, credited to his account. How? By works? Lighting candles? Putting money in the plate? No, righteousness is credited to you simply by grace through faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Romans 1 through 3, righteousness needed. Chapter 4, righteousness is given. Chapter 5, once saved, forever saved. You can fall on the deck, but you'll never fall off the ship. You're in his grip, and he's in the Father's grip, and you've got the Holy Spirit as a deposit sealing your salvation. You've got a guaranteed ticket to heaven. Well, then, Bernard, why don't we just sin like crazy? If I'm a shoe in, don't I have a license to sin? That's chapter 6. Righteousness is validated. Because if you are truly born again, your relationship now towards sin and evil has changed. Your heart has changed. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All old things are past. So righteousness needed, one through three, righteousness given, four, righteousness assured, chapter five, but righteousness is validated, chapter six. But if I'm assured heaven and I have got a changed heart, am I still going to sin? Yes. Why? I'm born again in the spirit. I'm positionally righteous before God seated at his right hand, but I still got this monkey on my back. What's it called? Flesh, flesh. And that's Romans chapter 7. Righteousness is wrestled with. The very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't do, this I do. Paul says, who will save me from this wretched body of death? Only one person. It ain't Oprah. Sorry. I had to put that in there. It's Jesus. Who will save us from this wretched body of death? Righteousness needed, one through three. Given four, assured five. Validated six, seven. Wrestled with. And chapter eight, even though you're wrestling... Even though you can wrestle with your sin to the point where you even doubt your salvation, chapter 8, you are secure. Righteousness, you are secure. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then 9, 10, 11, righteousness is promised to the Jew. God has not forgotten his chosen people. And then 12 to the end of the book, we've been looking at the application, right? 1 through 11 is doctrine, 12 through 16 is application, how you live out your faith. It's God's righteousness manifested through the body. Your relationship with God, you present your body as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your relationship to the body, you're all gifted. You need to use those gifts to serve. Your relationship towards your enemy, your relationship towards government, you're to be a model citizen, paying taxes. And then your relationship to your brother. How can you be a good neighbor and so on and so forth. What he's going to do here, he's going to close out the book. It's interesting. The book opens up with the gospel being preached and the book ends with the gospel in people that it's been preached to. And you see changed lives. Now, Paul here is going to talk about evangelism. He's going to end the book with, here is the good news. It is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change a man and translate him from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. What he's going to say in this section, and then you're going to see a list. It's probably the longest list of names in the New Testament apart from the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. And it's the fruit 
of Paul's labor. It is the fruit of the gospel, what it has produced. You've got women, you've got slaves, rich men, poor men, free, all different types, couples, singles, all different types of people that the gospel has penetrated and changed their lives. But what he's going to start off with, and we're going to be in verse 14 of chapter 15, so we'll go 15, 14, all the way to 16, 16. And then I'm going to spend the next two weeks on toxic television, equipping you to decipher and discern of all the junk that's coming out of TV. But what Paul starts off with, look at this, verse 14, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct others, to instruct one another. Bill Bright said this, if you have discipleship, if you have a Bible church without evangelism, without outreach, it's going to breed and produce arrogance and pride, right? For instance, the opposite. If you have a church that's not preaching the word, if they're not deeply rooted in the Bible to where they're not blown and tossed about by every wind of teaching and doctrine, Paul says, if you don't have a church that's engrossed in their Bibles, it gets weird, doesn't it? You get into intellectualism, legalism, emotionalism, humanism, existentialism, pantheism, social gospel, social groupism. How about that? Mysticism. I can go down the list, all the isms and asms. If you're not in your book, then your compass is spinning widely. This will root you and keep you pointing north. But on the other side, if you've got a Bible church, if you've got a church that's real heavily into discipleship, in other words, teaching the Bible and growing people without outreach, without evangelism, it's going to breed pride and arrogance. Because that's where the fork meets the grits, where you've got to get out and your faith has got to have feet. You've got to share the good news. 1 Corinthians 8 says, uh, for we know that we all possess knowledge, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to, but the man who loves, the man who reaches out is known by God. So you've got to have a balance. It's tough. Most Bible churches are real heady and not very much heart. If you've got a church that's heavy on relationships, they're not really mature in their doctrine, but they're real loving church. There's a lot of relationships going on. You follow me? We've got to try to find a balance. I think we've got a great balance here at Telos. You guys feel pretty welcomed when you come in? Pretty loved at the door? You got big bear Paul Miller just stood up. Thank you, Paul. You didn't know you were going to do that. He'll love on you when you come in the door. You got Dale. He'll love on you. He'll give you a bulletin. And we got different people from the servant team trying to love on you when we... Uh, when you get cookies and coffee and stuff. So we're trying, to, we're trying to get a good balance. If you're not in a small group, you need to get in a small group because that's a church within the church. That's where the ministry's done. So this is what Paul is going to talk about. We've got to go out and we in the church are supposed to be fishers of men going out and getting men and women, bringing them in. But instead, a lot of times, uh, we become keepers of the aquarium. So we've got to get out. It's interesting here in the Ozarks where you've got a lot of fishing going on, right? Jesus told the apostles, you guys are fishers, fishermen. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. And if you think about it, it's a real interesting analogy or metaphor because when you fish, you take that which is alive and you make it dead, right? You bring it in the boat, hack its head off and eat it. When you fish for men, what do you do? You take that which is dead to the things of Christ and bring it to life. So when you fish for fish, you take that which is alive and make it dead. And when you fish for men, you take that which is dead and you bring it to life. Okay? So Paul says this. There's two areas in your life that you and I are commanded to grow as Christians. There's two areas in your life that you and I are commanded to grow. He says, I'm confident that you yourselves are full of goodness. And you're competent in knowledge and competent to instruct another. That you are filled. Okay, the word filled there is pluruo. It means to be amply supplied. It means to be finished, completed, accomplished, mature. Abounding fully in what you need. It's almost real close to telos, right? What's the word of our church mean? To, to bring you to 
fulfillment, to bring you to a designated end, to bring you to completion, what God has designed you to be. And there's two things he says. I want you to be competent in knowledge. I want you to know the essentials. I want you to know the basics of truth. He says, and I want you to be able to go out and instruct others. Go out and make disciples of men. Two areas you and I are commanded to grow and to multiply as Christians. Number one, you've got to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. All through your Bible, Peter talks about your babes craving milk. You need to grow on to maturity. John says that when you come to faith, you're a child, that you know him who has brought you life. And then you are a young man, like a teenager. The word of God lives in you. You're strong. You've overcome the evil one. And then you become mature, that you've known him who is from the beginning. You've just got a surety in your faith. And so you and I have to grow. We're commanded to grow in our knowledge. We're to be transformed. How? the Bible says, by the renewing of your mind, okay, that we must walk like Jesus did. We must be able to obey his commands. The second area you and I are commanded to multiply and to grow is bringing people to faith, being able to go out, make disciples of men, and instruct one another, teaching them to obey the word and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Holy uh, Holy Spirit, and the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'll get it. In other words, you should be able to look back a year ago today and you should know more about your Bible and a deeper understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ and God's revelation. And you should look back a year ago and you should be able to give me a list of people that you've affected for the faith, people that you have brought to faith, people in which God has used you to bring to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, translating them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I mean, when Jesus sat down with his apostles and said, greater things than these, meaning the miracles that he has done, you will do. What are greater things than these the apostles will do and you and I? What's greater than raising someone from the dead or walking on the water or bringing sight to a blind man that was born that way? The greater miracle than these is um, right here. I'm looking at you. Born again. There's no greater miracle. Is that true? The greatest thing that you will ever do on this planet, the greatest thing that God will ever accomplish through you on this planet is bringing someone to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and translating him from the kingdom of darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I want you to see what he says here. Watch. He says, verse 15, I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He's saying the reason I have boldly written to you and the reason I've been getting on you is what he's saying is because I want you to be competent to counsel. I want you to be passionate about the Word of God, and I want you to be proficient in it. That's why I stand up here week after week, and sometimes I crunch on your toes pretty hard. Sometimes I'm getting on you pretty hard. It's because I love you to the point where I want you to be proficient in your Word. I don't Listen, I don't necessarily want you guys to be PhDs in your Bible. If that's where you want to go, awesome. We've got all the materials. You've got Big Steve over there, his information table. You've got to love it. Weapons of mass instruction, he calls them. Okay, he's got stuff over there to educate you about the Masons, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and everything else. You want to go to seminary? I can help you do that. If you want PhD in your word, come on, that's great. But the, the fact of the matter is most of you aren't going to go that deep. But I want you to be proficient in the basic truths. I want you to be able to give a word in season to him who is weary, Isaiah says, by knowing the word of God. Like I said, the next two weeks, I'm going to really take apart all the stuff that's coming out of the TV so that you can be fully equipped to be able to decipher and discern truth and error. And the reason Paul says this and the reason I'm saying this to you is because I see so many Christians that have unnecessary pain and suffering in their life because they don't know the Word of God that well. 
that they have so much pain and suffering in their life because they've heard something from somebody or out of the TV or some kind of junk coming down the pike that causes fear and anxiety and stress in your life. That when you get the Bible, it calms you, it gives you rest, it gives you a peace that transcends all understanding. So that's what Paul's saying. Man, I've written to you quite boldly, meaning I've gotten on you. I've gotten right in your business. I've gotten in your grill. And he says, the reason is because I want you to be passionate, proficient in the Word of God. I want to make sure that you don't have unnecessary pain and suffering because of your lack of knowledge of God and His perfect plan for your life. Amen? And that's why you'll see me every week just passionately pouring my heart out to you. Get in his book. Get in his book. Uh, I'll give you an example. I mean, I don't want to use a lot of names, but there's people in this congregation where their lives were a mess financially, relationally, go down the list. And they started getting into their Bibles. They started taking the areas in their life that they can control and started getting them in line and God has blessed them financially, blessed them health-wise, blessed them relationally. It's like just one by one, man, it's just catching. So that's what Paul's saying, that's what I'm saying to you. Now look what he says. He says, so I can be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, in the chapters 1, he tells us sinners. In chapter 8, we're sons, we're sons and daughters. And here he says that we are to be priests and preachers. A priest is someone who would bring a Jew or even a Gentile into the presence of God. He was the go-between. Do you know that the Bible calls every one of you priests? Do you know that? 1 Peter 2.9, he says, For we, the church, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we should declare praises of him who called us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I mean, so that is our job. That's what he's saying that you and I need to be doing. We need to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen, you cannot, and I'm going to say this boldly, you cannot enjoy your salvation. You cannot have the true joy of your salvation unless you're sharing your faith. How many of you shared your faith with somebody and God has just shot you full of joy? How many of you shared your faith or maybe gone on a mission trip and you're like going, that's it, I'm selling everything I own and I'm becoming a monk. No, I mean that you're going to become a missionary. Because there's just such joy. When Jesus witnessed to the woman at the well and the apostles came back and said, Master, you've got to eat something. He said, no, no. I don't need physical food. He goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He just brought this lady to faith. He revealed himself to the woman at the well as her savior. She accepted him. He says, that's all I need. I'm full to the brim. So let me show you this. One author said Christians are like the Arctic River. Most of the time they're frozen at the mouth. Okay? I want you to go back to that nice, white, clean section in your Bible. So go to Psalms and hang a left to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I love this story. I think I might have given it to you before, but like Paul says, it's good for me to remind you of these things, right? Because a lot of times we go through our week, we get inundated with financial burdens and paying the bills and doing a good job at work and kids and soccer games and baseball games and carpools and everything else, man. And when you come in here on Sunday, this is like the holy huddle. This is like getting all that junk off you from the week, huh, Sandra? And man, Bucky and the Buckyettes or whatever you want to call them, we got to call you something, Bucky. The worship team... It's just so nice to come in here and just get all that stuff off of you, isn't it? Get your mind right. Tony Horton, get your mind right. All right? Watch these guys here. This is a great story. Israel's in bad shape. This is about 850 BC. Verse 24 is where we're going to start. You've got Israel under siege because of their disobedience to God and his word. And God told them, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. Wombs will flourish. Land will flourish. You'll have no problems. But if you disobey me, it's all going to dry up. 
I'm going to have to put the hurt on you because I want you obedient because obedience will produce blessings in your life. Second Kings, you all there? You go to Psalms and go left. Just keep backing it up. You'll come across it. You go past Nehemiah, you go past the Chronicles, and you'll hit Kings. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 24. You're in the time period where Israel has split. Um, you've got 10 tribes to the north, which is called Israel, and you've got two tribes to the south, Benjamin and Judah, and they're called Judah. <clears throat> Joram is the king of Israel right now who has brought the nation into disobedience, idol worship. He's the 10th king from Solomon, and God's put the hurt on him by taking the, the uh, Arameans and putting a siege on the town. And when they put a siege on the town, they would cut you off from all supplies, water and food, and just starve you out. That way they wouldn't have to destroy the buildings and they could just move in and take it over. Wouldn't have to rebuild it. Verse 24, sometime later, Benadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army, marched up and laid siege to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel, northern tribe. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels. That's about two pounds of silver. What do you think that'd be worth today? A donkey's head sold for about two pounds of silver. A donkey head doesn't have much meat on it to eat, does it? So that's some bad news. That'd be like paying $200 for a loaf of bread. Just the crust. How's that? So a donkey's head, two pounds of silver and a quarter of cob of seed pods for five shekels. Now, you should have a little footnote under that. Seed pods is dove dung, okay? They're eating dove manure. That's how bad the, the famine is for five shekels. Now, watch this. As the king of Israel was passing by on a wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. And the king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help from you? Now, he should be saying, it's my fault. All this famine upon this city is my fault. Own it, but he doesn't. He says, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? Well, if he would turn the nation back to obedience, he would. He says, from the threshing floor, from the wine presses. Then he asked her, what's the matter? And she answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son. That's a bad deal. You tell me the state of this nation, and it's a picture of the world. We're doing the same thing. We're not eating them. We're killing them. We're boarding babies by the millions. I mean, the nation is in a dark, dark time here. They're eating each other's children. Can you, I, that's just beyond my comprehension. So we cooked my son, ate him, and the next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him, but she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes, meaning he, they tear him over their heart to signify that their heart's ripping. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. In other words, his faith is hidden. Usually, if you wore sackcloth back in this day, everybody saw it. It was a sign of mourning and repentance. And he's got it under his clothes. He's like a Clairol Christian, right? Only his hairdresser knows for sure. Remember those commercials? It's hidden underneath. He said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was the prophet of the day. Elisha had come up to Joram on multiple occasions and said, thus saith the Lord. Get the people back into line with the word of God or it's going to be bad. Who does he blame? He blames the prophet. It's like me a lot of times. I'll sit here and I'll preach the word from you and I'll get all kinds of flack. And I say, don't mess with me. I'm just the messenger. If you've got an issue with what I'm preaching, you take it up with the author. He wants to blame the messenger. Who should he be blaming? Himself. He's the reason that this nation has gone into the state it's in. How about our nation? Why is our nation in the place that it is? The leadership. Why is the leadership where it is? The church. Another message for another day. 
Now Elisha was sitting at his house and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? He says, look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, hold it shut against him, is not the sound of his master and his footsteps behind him. And so the messengers are going to come to Elisha. You've got King Joram coming after him, and they're going to want to cut his head off. While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him with the king, and the king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Okay. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a shea of flour will sell for a shekel and two shays of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And what he's saying is this time tomorrow, there's going to be so much food, it's going to cost you a nickel for a loaf of bread. Overnight, God is going to change the situation. The officer on who the arm was leaning the officer on whose arm the king was leaning, said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heavens, could this happen? You will see with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. That's the cold water committee. And at any time you get somebody who's got some great faith that's moving in the right direction, you got the cold water committee that wants to come douse the flame. Take away your passion. So the nation's in a bad way. So is the world. You've got the prophet, the word of God, that's saying, God can fix this. God can turn this around. All we've got to do is turn to him. And you've always got the naysayers that say, ah, where is this Jesus that you guys saying is coming? Where is he? Everything's been going on like this since the beginning of the world. Peter says, scoffers will come. No, the world needs Jesus, right? This nation needs obedience to God. Our nation needs obedience to God. But you got those that say, no, nah, that's not the answer. God's not going to do that. Now, here's the guys I want you to focus in on. Look at these guys. Now, there were four men with leprosy, meaning that you were ostracized from society. If you had leprosy, you could not even come into town unless you screamed out at the top of your lungs, unclean, unclean, and you couldn't come within 50 feet of any person. And so they would just hide out in colonies because they weren't accepted. They were spit on and rocks were thrown at them. So these guys are at the entrance to the city gate. They're not welcomed in the city and the enemy over here wants to kill them. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, we'll die. And if we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. He said, let's do something. Let's step out of the boat. At dusk, they got up, went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. They heard the armies of heaven. Remember, David was coming against the Philistines, and God said, you sit tight until you hear the marching and the top of the balsam trees, and then you go in because I have gone ahead of you. This is the army of God that came against the enemy for Israel. So they heard chariots and horses and great armies so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. God will put the fear of you in them. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate, drank, carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took, same, took some things from it and hid them also. Now, picture the scene. They're going to surrender. They don't know if they're going to live or die. They get to the camp. No one's there. They start looking around. Everybody is gone. Then they start partying. You see that? They start eating and taking as much stuff and they're going, woo is awesome deliverance probably their belly's full like a tick then they start hiding stuff that's what kills me and then they come to their senses I like this then they said to each other we are not doing right this is a day of good news gospel 
We are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. What are they saying? We can't keep this good news to ourselves. We've got to let it out. Listen, this is what we are to do as Christians. We have the cure for man's terminal illness, don't we? We've got the answer to man's problems. It's called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's called simply believe unto the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's simply there is no other name under heaven in which man can be saved except for the Christ Jesus. And we've got that good news and a lot of times we just sit back and we keep it to ourselves. While our neighbor to our left and our neighbor to our right and the one across the street are all going to hell. You know, Spurgeon one time was preaching and everybody was kind of yawning and it was a hot day and everybody was sit back and he screamed out and he was teaching on evangelism and witnessing. It didn't seem like anybody was paying attention. So he yelled at the top of his voice, fire! And some of the people that were snoozing kind of woke up and they all went, where? And he went in hell. And that's where the unbelievers are going unless you reach them, unless you get to them. We are not doing right, they said. This is a day of good news. We must go tell. You know, I watched this, uh, I think I've told you this. I was teaching a Bible study when I lived in Denton. I was flying down to McAllen, Texas every week, which is a long flight. I'd fly from Dallas to Houston, have a layover there, and fly all the way to McAllen, Texas to do a Bible study. This gal had set up this deal where I could go teach the Bible. And I was flying down there one time and they called me up and they said, we need for you to sit down with this guy. He's lost as a goose. He's messed up. He's almost tried to kill himself a couple times. You need to sit down and talk to him. I said, fine, go have him meet me at this restaurant because I go eat at this restaurant right before the Bible study. So I sat down with this guy. His name was Shannon. I sit down, I kid you not, this is like four in the afternoon. This guy is shooting Jack Daniels. He's got cocaine rings around his nostrils, and he's wired out of his mind, just absolutely out of his mind. So I sit and I start talking to him, and I give him the gospel. I take him through the Romans road, and that man sat right there and in tears prayed to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. He had nowhere else to go. And so I followed up a few times with some phone calls, got some of the folks from the Bible study around him and started discipling him, and I kid you not. Now, this was a prim and proper Baptist church that I was going to to teach this Bible study. Believe it or not, I was tucking my shirt in and wearing nice shirts and everything else. This was a staunch Baptist church. This guy got so on fire for the gospel, he started bringing in all his drug buddies the prostitutes, the drug buy, I mean, all tatted up hard and just stumbling, stank and everything else. And the people in the Bible study started coming to give me grief. He can't bring these people in here. They're smelling up the place. And I unleashed on them. Can you imagine? You talk about veins sticking out of my neck. But he was bringing in 10, 15 people each week. He was so excited about his new faith. God delivered him completely from alcoholism and drug addiction overnight. Boom. And this was what, Dorothy, 15 years ago maybe? The guy's still on fire for Jesus. I think one of the funniest stories he told me, and this is called Guts Ball Evangelism. He was filling up his car with gas in his his drug dealer, the guy who was supplying him, came and pulled up, said, hey, man, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? He says, well, you know, I've kind of changed my life a little bit. He goes, hey, I got an eight ball for you. The guy says, no, man, I don't do that anymore. And the guy kept trying to push it. Finally, Shannon pulled the nozzle out of his gas tank and started squirting gas around this guy's feet. I'm not kidding. And then stood there and lit a lighter. And the guy freaked out. He goes, what are you doing? He says, I'm about to show you what it's going to be like if you don't accept Jesus Christ. <laughs> he goes, because you're going to go to hell. I love that guy. 
We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. You know, it was amazing to me how these people were just getting all in a panic because he was bringing these people in. All right, so anyway, they go back and they tell the king and the king says, well, no, there's got to be a trick. So he sends some people out and they come back and say, no, it's exactly like God said. And if you look in verse 17, it says, now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate and the people trampled him in the gateway and he died just as God had said. It happened as the man of God had said to the king, about this time tomorrow, a shea of flour will sell for a shekel and two shays of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Let me tell you, you bring someone to faith or God uses you to do it and you tell them that they're going to be in heaven, you tell them that God is going to give them a peace that surpasses all understanding, God will do what he says he's going to do. You're not just peddling some wooden nickel gospel. You're telling them that God's honest truth and God will do what he says he's going to do. The next day, all of a sudden, there's bounty. There's plenty in the city. It says, about this time tomorrow, a shade of flour will sell for a shekel, two shades of barley for a shekel of the gates of Mary. The officer had said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord shuts the doors or oh, should open the floodgate of heaven, should this happen? The man of God replied, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him for the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. So at the beginning of the story, they're eating kids. And at the end of it, the kids are eating right? Because God done done what he said he was going to do. Now go back to Romans. You see what the point is here? This is a day of good news. Why aren't we sharing this gospel? Like Paul says, I am obligated. I am passionate to bring people to Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. Now watch what Paul says, verse 17. You're going, yeah, but Bernard, I'm scared. I don't know if I could be a Shannon pouring gas at the bottom of someone else's feet. I don't know if I want you doing that. Could have blown up the whole place. But I do want you bringing in people here. I don't care what walks of life they are. I don't care how badly they're steeped into sin. This is where they need to come, amen? And you don't have to dress a certain way to come to tell us. You don't have to act a certain way. You don't have to clean yourself up. That's not your job. You come here and you get loved on and you get the truth put in you and watch God do his work. Watch God do his miraculous work. Yeah, but Bernard, I, you know, if, if I start sharing my faith at work, maybe I'll get fired, so... My Bible tells you and tells you you'll be blessed if you're persecuted for the sake of Christ. Buddy of mine, Gene Herr, a pharmacist, when they came out with that, uh, uh, what was that abortion drug? Are you for 862? Is that it? Yeah. He refused to fill those prescriptions. Instead, he said, you know, when someone would come to the window, he'd get someone else to fill it because it was against his faith. They fired him because of that. Newspapers got a hold of it. You know, some of the people out there were protesting, the unbelievers saying, don't go to, I won't tell you the name of the drugstore, because if you're raped, they won't help you and all this other stuff. I mean, he got some heat. This is a pharmacist. This is a guy who spent how many years in school and lost it? Yeah, but Bernard, I'm scared. Look what Paul says. That's all right. Therefore, verse 17, I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by whatever I've said and done. By the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Iliacrim, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation, but rather as it is written. Those who are not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. He's saying it's the Holy Spirit that's going to work through you, right? When Zechariah went to Zerubbabel and said, God wants you to build the temple. Zerubbabel said, no can do. And Zechariah says, you're right, but not by power, not by might, but by what? My spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. You just open your mouth. Watch God give you the words. You just step out and try to start reaching your neighbors and the person across the street and the people that are at your work or wherever you frequent, the gym, the pool, wherever you go. Watch what God does. The Holy Spirit will take over. 
Howard Hendricks, a professor at DTS, said this. He goes, we always want to be doing something that can't be done unless God works through us to do it. Right? You feed them. We only got a couple of loaves and some fishes. Step out of the boat. Watch God take over. Watch God take over. Uh, this one guy, oh, I forget what his name was. I think his name was John. He said every time he'd come out of his house, his neighbor, who was an unbeliever, would always ask him on Sunday morning. He'd be coming out of his house on Sunday morning. He said, hey, John, you want to come play around a golf today? No, no, I can't. I'm going to church. He must have asked him a dozen times. Finally, he asked him one Sunday morning if he wanted to go play golf. John said, no, I can't. I got to go to church. And the neighbor said, you know something? I've asked you to come play golf with me. I don't know how many times you've not once asked me to come to church. That's strong. And Paul says in verse 22, I've been hindered from coming to you a lot of times. And what he's saying there is God hindered him from getting in the holy huddle because he wanted him to continue to go out and reach the people. When we come here on Sunday, this is the holy huddle right? This is where we come and it's like a pit stop. Get your tires checked, get your gas tank filled, make sure your windshield's clean, get back out in the race. You get back out in the game. We come here on Sunday to get back out in the game. What's the game? You got to reach people for Jesus, both by word and by life and bring them to the knowledge of Christ and bring them into this church, bring them into a church. That's what he's saying here. And if you look, verse 23, he goes on and says, I want to come visit you. I urge you, verse 30, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle, agonizo in the Greek, to agonize. He's agonizing over bringing people to Christ by praying to God for me. He says, pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my services in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God will... So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. He's saying, pray for me as I go out and I wrestle and I struggle for the sake of Jesus. Acts twenty twenty four, Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task, the task to testifying to the gospel of God's grace, the task to testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Let me ask you a question here. Let me just stop and kind of preach at you. Because the next the, the little section here is you see a list of all the people that Paul has affected directly or indirectly. You got Phoebe, her name means goddess of the moon, who is converted. And she's not going to be the, you know, the goddess of the moon means she reflects the light of the sun, but look who she's really reflecting the light of, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. And she's going to be the one who carries the, this uh, book of Romans. Look at I commend to your sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria. I asked you to receive her in the Lord, 16.1, in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. She is the one Paul has sent to bring this letter to the church in Rome. He hasn't even gone to Rome yet. Earlier, he says, I'm coming to you. I'm going to come as soon as I can. But in the meantime, here's my little short letter. I mean, Romans, and this gal's carrying it. And then you look at his list. I mean, you've got women in this list. You've got slaves, you've got couples, you've got Jews, Gentiles, former enemies of Paul, Greek, Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. I'm in verse 3. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Aquila means uh, eagle. Priscilla means wise woman. So you got the eagle, this majestic man, this godly man, the spiritual leader of his wife and his family. And you've got this wise woman and they're a couple and they're out there doing the work of the Lord. Let me tell you, I've seen so many times because I ministered to singles early on in my faith. I saw so many singles on fire for Jesus, man. They'd be at every Bible study. They'd be serving in the church. And as soon as they got married, you never saw them again. You singles in here, 
you stud and studettes, when God brings you that man or that woman, he's not just bringing them so that you can have every sexual fantasy in the world that you ever dreamed of. We need to get into some Song of Solomon here. He's not bringing that person in so now all of a sudden you have arrived and you're married and you can kind of put him on the back burner. God brings you a mate because two are better than one. Amen? And they get a better return for their work. Isha woman means completer. Okay, I'm going to marry Derek and Gretchen over here in August and I'm going to have some fun. I love doing weddings. Okay, but I don't let them go until I give them an admonition to where she's to be his crown and he is to be the leader. And they're both to dance with the one that brought them because three strands is not quickly broken. So you're coming together as a couple to do better work for Christ. Okay? Keep going. I'm just going to go through the names real quick and then I'll quit. But if you look at it, you've got uh, also church meets in their house. Greet my dear friends of Penitas, who was first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Verse 6, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me and they're outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. And then he keeps going, Ampelitus, Urbanus, and he keeps going down the list. You've got even one in verse 11, Herodian, my relative. This supposedly is the grandson of Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus. You've got Greek names, you've got names like Olympus, um, Narcissists. I mean, these are names honoring the Greek gods, and these people have changed lives because of Christ. So again, it starts out with the gospel, and it ends up with the gospel in people. It starts out with the gospel being preached by a person, and ends up with the gospel in persons. How's your list? That's what I want to ask you. If you sat down and I asked you, how many people have you affected for Christ? How many people have you brought to Christ? What's your list going to look like? What are you passionate about? What are you excited about? I mean, I watch so many of us, we get excited about and passionate about these tea parties that are going on. That's awesome. Let's try to do what we can for this country. But are you just as passionate and as excited? And will you sit out on a corner in the hot sun with signs for Christ and to win people to Jesus? How many of you gone to a great movie and you can't wait and you tell all your friends about how great the movie is, but then how many people have you told about how great the sermon was, sorry, or church was, or worship? I'll go worship, Bucky. You know what I'm saying? We get so excited about movies or a television program. I mean, American Idol, you'll do whatever it takes so you won't miss it. You'll even TiVo it, but we'll miss church at the drop of a hat. See? It's good for me to remind you of these things like Paul says. What are you passionate about? A new restaurant comes to town, man. We'll tell everybody about it, but we won't tell people about our church. We won't be passionate about our church. A great store that just opens up. Won't be passionate about it. And let me just say this to you. This is your church. And there's lots of empty seats in here, isn't there? And I'm going to challenge you. The seat that's next to you or the seat that's in front of you, I want, to put, I want you to put a person's name on that seat in your mind. Just one person. And I want you to start praying for that person. And I want you to start doing whatever you can to get that person to church or to reach them for Christ. If they're unchurched, let's get them in church. Steve and I are working on one of his buddies who got so burned by a couple of churches, he don't want to step foot in it. So he doesn't have to come here. I'm going to go to him. And we're taking him out to lunch. Steve's been working on him. Can you imagine being in a truck with this guy all day long? He's been working on him. So we're going to try to get him back into church. And we're going to love on him. We're going to show him a church that's not going to burn him and hurt him. Amen? And then people that you know, your neighbors that don't know Christ. I want you to put whoever's name you can on that seat. We've given you cards. These cards, we're going to make them even a little fancier down the road. We're going to have them all the time for you that you can give to people and say, you're invited to our church. You take them. If you need more, we've got them in the tables back there. But how passionate are you? If each one of you prayed for a person and each one of you brought one person, we would double overnight, wouldn't we? 
And it's not about the size of our church. It's about reaching people for Christ. And there's so many people out there that don't know him. And there's so many people that have been burned by these churches and these church splits and everything else. They don't want to step near a church. And we want to show them that this church is different. We're going to love them to grow and grow them to love in God's word. I had a buddy of mine who was a uh, missionary. He was a uh, optometrist. And he'd go on these mission trips where they'd go and they would take cataracts off of people's eyes. That was one of the major problems um, down in Africa and South America. He, he told me on this one trip, he went down and, you know, you can get cataracts so bad you can barely see. You can just see figures and blurry vision. He said they went, this guy had had this cataracts for years and they took the cataracts off this guy's eyes and he could see. He was so excited that he could see. They said the next day, they were looking out and coming down this road, coming down this dirt road that led to the village that they were working in was this guy. And all they could see was this guy in the front. And he had hold of something with both of his hands. And he was walking towards him. And as he walked towards him, they noticed that he held this big rope. And on this rope behind him were 15 other guys holding on to the rope that had cataracts. They couldn't see. That's the only way that they could walk. So he's leading them. It's like a string or a fish, okay? He's leading all these people that couldn't see because of cataracts. And he's bringing them to what? This guy who could get them to see. That's what we need. We're bringing people into the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. It's up to you. You take this one seat that's in front of you or next to you, one person that's either unchurched or an unbeliever, and you pray over them and you do what it takes. You give them that card. You can plant little tracks, go cut their grass, random acts of service. You guys did a great job when we were doing that. And you get passionate and you get excited about this church and what God is doing. Amen? And watch what he's going to do. Watch what he's going to do through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll rock this place, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the Lord's Supper right now. We don't have time for questions, so if we have some, we'll, we'll take them next week because I don't want to keep you guys here too long. We're going to do the Lord's Supper right now, then we're going to have Gretchen. Right now, then we're going to.